Father, this morning we are so thankful for Jesus. We are so thankful for the cross that we can come because you made a way and that we can come knowing that you gave your life just because you loved us. And I pray for those that are here this morning that need to hear that, that you would wash over them with your love, that you would overwhelm them with your presence. And this morning, God, that they would leave this place changed because of who you are and because of what you've done for us. So Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. And God, we pray that you would speak to us as we hear your word this morning. God, have your way in the rest of our service. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a couple of different approaches to how you do worship, and one is you do a lot of planning ahead of time, coordination, every little thing has got to be coordinated and work. And then another is to take the idea that God, if, if things are happening right, God plans the worship service. And everything Philip just said that was been on his heart and made him feel he needed to sing that song again, you're going to see that that's exactly what God's put on my heart and that this Sunday, I get to preach two Sundays in a row, so that's a warning. If you come next Sunday, it's your own fault. Uh, but today I'm going to be talking to you about the love of Christ and how you be reminded of it. And next Sunday, what do you all to do about it? And so I want you to be thinking that there is not just one or two, but many of you today know in your head that Christ loves you, but you're not really convinced in your heart. And I, I'm convinced that our doubt of the love of God for us occurs because we look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and we go in our secret selves, our secret heart, we say, how in the world can God love me knowing what He knows about me? And we begin to doubt the love of Christ. And we begin to think it depends on my worthiness. And if I'll just get more worthy, God will love me more. And it's just, it's, it's a lie from Satan. He loves us so much, it's beyond our comprehension. And our, what we need to do is not put our eyes on ourselves, but put our eyes on Christ and what He did. And look at Him and be convinced by looking at Him that He does indeed love us and that that is our message to this world. Now with that in mind, I want us to look at a story that starts to show us and, and, and really gives us an, a glimpse of the heart of Jesus Christ. It's in Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says in verse 27 that after that, he went out and noticed tax gatherers, and a particular tax gatherer named Levi. Now that's Matthew. And he was sitting in the tax office, and Jesus goes up and says to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his home. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees 
And their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not for those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, you may have noticed my official t-shirt today. Sinners, welcome, just in case you can't read it. A while back, I saw a t-shirt that said, Sinners, welcome, and it was hanging behind a bar. And I said, I've got to have that t-shirt because the t-shirt doesn't need to be a t-shirt for a bar. It needs to be a t-shirt for a church. And I got that t-shirt, and I wore it on some of the Wednesday night groups I, I did with, along with Jace uh, this last year. And, and I showed it to Lee one night, Monday night group, I think. And I said, this needs to be the t-shirt of a church. He said, man, you're right. And so he took the ball and ran with it big time. And now we got Church at the Cross in on the back, Sinners Welcome on the front. I want to tell you, this ought to be the motto of every church in the world. Sinners Welcome. It ought to be the heart of our understanding of our mission. Now, I also heard a country western song in which there was a line that said, and it's, it was a song about a bar, and it was called The Lost and Found. And I thought, this needs to be in a church, and the name Lost and Found doesn't need to be the name of a bar. It needs to be the name of a church. And I said, Lee, if we ever start another church somewhere, you know, like to reach out and start a mission or something, it needs to be called The Lost and Found. Sinners welcome. Down at the Lost and Found Church. Doesn't that have a ring to it? Now, I know what you're thinking. This guy seems to hang out a lot in bars. <laughs> That's another sermon. We'll talk about it another time. For right now, I just want you to keep your mind on this. That that is the mission of the church. And as Christians, brother and sister, that's our mission. To tell the message that we are sinners, that Christ welcomes us, and that we who were lost have been found, and our message doesn't need to get any more complicated than that. And so this is what we need to remember, because I think that many times we who are in church every Sunday, and I'm talking to you that are in church every Sunday, we have a tendency to begin to forget this. We have a tendency to tend to forget that we are sinners saved by grace alone and in no other way. We have a tendency to forget that our mission is to reach out from inside this church where we enjoy fellowship with one another to a world that is lost and desperately needs to be found. That is our mission because every Christian needs to be reminded constantly of the gospel. None of us ever should forget that we are sinners saved by the grace of God with nothing to commend ourselves. We are a fellowship of sinners saved by a Savior who 
sends us out to a lost world. And he sends us out with a message that sinners are welcome to come to Jesus and he will never turn them away and he will never reject them. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to improve your behavior to come to Christ. You come as you are. You're always welcome. And you and I, who wear this badge of being a Christian, we were lost. And we have been found. And our mission is to share the good news with a lost world that they can be found as well. I don't know if I've ever said it when I've preached here before, but I, I, I've said it often, that the church would be a lot better off if it would be a church that conducted itself pretty similar to an AA meeting. You know, when you go to an AA meeting and uh, you... Uh, uh, introduce yourself or you stand to say something, you have to start with the confession that you're an alcoholic. And if you're not willing to admit that, uh, you really don't have a right to talk anymore. So you go in, you stand up, you say, I'm Mark, I'm an alcoholic. Or I'm Mark, and I'm a drug addict. Whatever it is. Wouldn't it be refreshing if we understood that church is the place where you and I never outgrow the understanding that I'm Mark and I'm a sinner? I sin all the time. And in AA, you can get little coins for being sober for a day, for a week, for a year, uh, you know, 20 years. You get these coins. i got to confess to you, I've, I am so addicted to sin... I've never been able to do more than just get that little starter coin. Because before the day's out, I've sinned again. And friends, if it is not for the grace of God, there isn't one of us in here that has a prayer. It isn't going to be based on how good you are, how you clean your life up, or how disciplined you can be, how self-disciplined you are about your life, and about your behavior, and about your thoughts. The reality is, there are people who can clean up their act in terms of their external behavior, but I guarantee you they're not cleaning it up in here apart from the grace of God. They're not able to change or control their thoughts. That's what bothered the Pharisees so much about Jesus. He said, I I'm interested in what's going on in your heart. You may say, I've never killed anybody, so I've not broken that commandment, but you've hated somebody, and he says it's the same thing. It's a sin too. He moved it all inside. The only prayer we've got is the grace of God. We need to remember that. We need to not forget it. So in light of that, that passage I read to you, I want us to look at it again briefly and just look at how this story progresses and to see how it was that Matthew was found and welcomed into the kingdom of God, a hated, despised tax gatherer, and let's look at his story. Jesus goes up to him in verse 27, and he says to him, follow me. That's incredible. And what's more incredible, in verse 28, he left everything behind and rose up and began to follow Jesus. 
Matthew had never dreamed that some great teacher who had a reputation and everybody had been hearing about Jesus would come to him, the most hated, despised man in the community, and say, you follow me. I imagine it shocked everybody. I bet it shocked mostly the other disciples that Jesus had already invited. They were probably going, you know, we must be pretty good for the Master to have selected us. And then he lowers all of their stock by going and inviting a tax gatherer that every good Jewish person despised to come and be one of his disciples. And Matthew, even though he was shocked, he wasn't too shocked to get up and walk off and leave his table of receipts, his, his position as a tax gatherer, and begin to follow Jesus. And as a result, it says that he threw a big party, big reception for Jesus in his home and invited his friends. Guess what kind of friends a tax gatherer had? Other tax gatherers and other people that were so disenfranchised by their lifestyle and by their sin that this was the only group they could fit in with. These were sinners in the eyes of everybody. There's no telling. I, I hate to even begin to suggest the kind of people that were sitting at this, and, and, and they throw a big party for Jesus, and He goes, and He sits right down amongst them. And I get the suspicion that not necessarily all of His disciples were happy with this, and they may have been hanging out the door and not willing to come in because the Pharisees come up and see it, and the first thing they do is talk to Jesus' disciples, and I'm wondering if they, they weren't kind of holding back too. This is all new stuff to them. And all of a sudden, they're asked to accept this guy into their little group. And so it says that um, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? Now it says that Jesus answered and said to them, Jesus overheard them. He's got good hearing. He overheard them. He overhears you and me. And worst of all, He overhears our heart. And He knew what these people were grumbling about, what they were complaining about. And so Jesus gives them an answer in verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, it's not for those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They raise their objections, and Jesus tells them His mission. I didn't come for people that think they don't need anything, which the Pharisees thought were pretty good. They would not have been people that said, we're just totally dependent on the grace of God. They would have pointed at their good works, their performance, their lifestyle, they're standing in the community. They would have had all kinds of ways of justifying themselves. Jesus said, I didn't come for you boys. I didn't come for you kind of people. I didn't come for people that think they've got it all together and don't need God because they're so good. I came for people that are sick, and they know they're sick, and they need a physician. And that's why these people have accepted me, and you've rejected me. 
And that's why I'm willing to sit down at the table with them because these are the people I came for. Sinners are welcome in my kingdom. That pattern, this isn't just an isolated story. The pattern continues. And you can turn just a few pages over to Luke chapter 7, and you see a similar story. It says, now one of the Pharisees, verse 36, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. She had a bad rep. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner." And once again, Jesus overhears his heart. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him the most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning towards this woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, and she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those reclining at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this man that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is not an isolated story. You turn over and you see in chapter 15, once again in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells about a man who had two sons. And one of these sons uh, gets his inheritance, the younger one, and he goes off and he wastes it. He does everything to destroy his own life. And he comes to his senses in that far country. And he says, I'd be better off being a slave in my father's house. And he comes back and he seeks to be restored. And when the Father sees him, it says in the story, when the Father sees him a long ways off, he runs to him and the Son starts his speech about, I'm no longer worthy to be called your Son and I, I need to be uh, uh, just a slave in your house. Just let me be a servant here. And the Father restores him. He puts a ring on his finger, robe on him. They throw a big party. And then the elder brother comes home. The one who always kept all the rules. The one who always did everything right. The one who'd stayed home and been responsible. And he gets mad and he won't go into the party. And so the father comes out to him and says, why won't you come in? He says, because this brother of mine, this son of yours, he wouldn't even claim him as a brother, 
has gone off and wasted and done everything you gave him, and he's made himself to be uh, an embarrassment to you, and yet you're throwing him a party. You never did anything like that for me. And he says, don't you understand? Don't you get it? Don't you see that this brother of yours who was lost has been found? He was dead. It's like he's alive again. This is Jesus. This is who He is. This is the kind of Savior that He is. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. What do you do with this? How do you, how do you apply this to your life? If Jesus loves us this way, and He loves them out there in the world this way, well, what you do is you never forget that you are saved. Never outgrow understanding that you need a Savior and you need one all the time. You're never going to graduate from that. You're never going to move beyond that. You're never going to move to a time when I no longer needed Jesus to be my Savior. To remember that you never outgrow needing a Savior is to remember that your mission is not to correct the world. Your mission is to carry the message of a Savior to the world. You can't change the world out there, this crazy mixed up world. You can't change it, but Christ can. And our message is not ourselves. Our message is Jesus. Our message is not whether we accept people or not. It's that He does. And He has accepted us, and we share that message with the world. Laws and governments and societies cannot change a heart. Only Jesus can change a heart. Only Jesus can remake us and begin to transform us into someone different. And our message is that our church is a place where sinners are welcome because our Savior is the one who welcomes them. Like the Pharisees, there isn't one of us in here that isn't in danger in a very subtle way of slipping into a pattern in which we begin to exclude sinners. We identify certain sins and say, no, nope, can't accept that person, can't accept that person, can't receive that person. That sound like Jesus? No, he, he, he went to the tax gatherers, the sinners, this woman of ill repute. He loved them. He invited them in. He came as their Savior. And the only way we can slip into being a Pharisee is when we begin to forget that we're sinners and that we never outgrow that. Remember that we serve a Savior who said that He came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's what we need to remember. It's your mission, and it's my mission. It's our mission 
to carry the message of this gospel. What freedom Christ has given to us to share this gospel when we realize that we are not the message. Jesus is the message. We're not the Savior. He is the Savior. With the appropriate humility of a sinner, saved by the grace of a loving God, let us, sinner to sinner, share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message. And we need to pray that God will give to you and to me the opportunity this week to share that message with someone. And so that means you need to pray with your eyes open, looking and seeing real live people who are lost and desperately need to be found. There's a man I have enjoyed reading his writings. His name is Brennan Manning. Probably his most well-known book is called The Ragamuffin Gospel. But he made a statement one time that has always been to me a very special statement about the love of Christ. And I'd like to read it to you. He said, The compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. And Jesus says to us, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, depending on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God. And when you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it's saying that His gut was wrenched, His heart torn open, and the most vulnerable part of His being laid bare. The ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, and the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness of Christ was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense. Unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out whatever our sin and whatever our pain. His plea to His people is come now, wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this? With all the wrong turns you've made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness and dishonesty and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that He loves you beyond worthiness or unworthiness, beyond fidelity or infidelity. He loves you, and He loves you without caution, without regret, without boundary, without limit. No matter what has happened in your life, He can't stop loving you.
And Philip said, someone needs to hear that today. And you need to hear that in your heart. He can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels. This is the Jesus that we serve. And when we stand before Him someday, He will ask us one question. Did you believe that I loved you? Not someone else, but you. Do you believe He loves you? Now that is a message, and that is a Savior that we can share. Sinners are welcome down to lost and found, and you are welcome. You are welcome to Him. Lord Jesus, we pray that You would hear the plea of our heart, the desperate need that each one of us have to know that we are loved and that You'll never turn us away. You'll never throw us away. You'll never discard us in any way. Help us to understand that beautiful message is the message we're to share. It's called good news. And it is. And so Lord, help us to see the people around us that need to know this and to be apt and ready and willing to tell this story, not of our goodness, but of your love, not of our acceptance, but of your acceptance, and that everyone is welcome to this Christ. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Ushers, come forward.